there's a lot of different ways to sell devices, to sell to sell something. And you know, I, th I think the, a big mistake can be can you know can be making the assumption that you know how to sell it, right? Just because of either past experiences or you know following someone else. Uh, and so we we were very intentional about doing multiple sales pilots uh, early on in the process, and then just continuing to to iterate, right? Just very much like a, a, a an engineering problem in a lot of respects. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Jim Biggins, the CEO of Access Vascular. Prior to starting the company, Jim developed innovative products for other strategics like Boston Scientific, Ocular Therapeutics, and Medtronic before spending 18 months exploring venture opportunities through shadowing clinicians in real-life medical settings. His company, Access Vascular, has introduced a novel biomaterial for vascular access devices aimed at reducing common patient complications. Here are a few of the things that we discuss in this conversation. First, don't underestimate the importance of getting into hospitals and talking directly with clinicians. Nothing beats observing procedures in real-life settings for understanding the actual need and how your product can address it. Second, randomized controlled trials may be the gold standard of clinical research, but smaller, well-timed studies can also tell potential investors and customers a compelling story about your technology and its applications. Third, don't assume that you know how to commercialize your device based only on past experience or observing others. Test your sales strategies in small pilot groups before scaling up based on your top performing models. Okay, so before we jump into the discussion, I wanted to let you know that we just released the first volume of MedSider Mentors, a print-based book that summarizes the key learnings from my favorite MedSider interviews over the past six months. Look, I fully realize it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's a way for you to learn from the best thought leaders in our space in one central place. Here's a teaser of what you'll see in this first volume. Gar Hong Kong, founder of HealthQuest Capital, teaches you how to successfully pitch your startup. Patricia Ziliak, CEO of Ivinsons, discusses what you really need to know about clinical trials. Jared Bauer, CEO of Ionic Sciences, shares best practices for avoiding obstacles in your startup journey. That only scratches the surface, so if you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. If you're a premium MedSider member, you'll get free digital access and a print version sent straight to your door. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Erica Rogers, CEO of Silk Road Medical, Dr. David Albert, founder of LiveCore, and so many others. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right, Jim, welcome to MedSider. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Really appreciate the invitation to talk today. Yeah, and uh, have been have been watching um, Access Vascular ABI, you know, from afar. So great to finally have you on the on the show. Looking forward to learning a little bit more about your story, um, about the the journey with uh, with your company, and kind of lessons learned along the way. So, with that said, let's start kind of at the top, right? I provided a you know a, a short bio right at the outset of this this interview, 
But talk to us a little bit more about your professional uh, kind of background leading up to actually forming uh, Access Vascular. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, So, you know, sort of, (laughs) I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I think that's always something that's uh, in my background that that is a constant sort of theme in my career, even, even, you know, when I was younger, going through high school and, and certainly into college. I ended up uh, going to UMass Lowell for for plastics engineering, so uh, engineer by by education. Uh, and then during that time, I ended up working second shift at a at a small company called Medtronic, uh, assembling devices uh, you know, with their uh, uh, diagnostics uh, catheters. And so it was really there where I uh, fell in love with the medical device industry and and uh, understanding the, the different aspects of getting a, a product from uh, manufacturing and, and into a patient. So it's pretty great experience uh, with Medtronic. Then, uh, you know, after graduation, I was uh, lucky enough to get a, actually a job offer for Medtronic uh, in, their, in their quality function. And it was, you know, through, through Medtronic really that I continued to develop my passion for, and I think this is their phrase, uh, certainly not mine, of, you know, doing well by doing good, right? The, the ability to impact the life of, of patients and, and really having a perspective on what you do from a career perspective, uh, anyways, uh, focused on, on improving patients' lives. And they do a really good job of, of sort of ingraining that into their culture. You know, from there, I ended up uh, going to uh, Boston Scientific, got some experience there, uh, again, on the R&D side, more, more technically uh, challenging devices with their, you know, PMA type, uh, type devices. And then uh, at that point, I ended up uh, really wanted to do a startup, right? So that was always in the background, uh, got connected to uh, the entrepreneur that was running a company called Ocular Therapeutics. It's one of the first 10 employees there. And that's really where I, I solidified my decision that uh, entrepreneurship in medical device was something that I could and, and wanted to do. And so there I was able to um, wear a lot of different hats, everything from you know clinical development to um, you know marketing to uh, regulatory uh, involvement. So um, that's really where I continue to develop my passion. At some point, I uh, ended up getting my MBA uh, and then realized that if I was going to start a company, there were sort of two areas I, I needed to work on. Uh, one was uh, the, the sales side, right? Selling selling product and, and getting that. And secondly, that, that sort of commercial experience. So I uh, started working for a contract manufacturer, uh, in the medical device space uh, called Pulse Technologies, and took a job there for for a number of years while I you know, sort of honed and developed those skills. Uh, and then at, at some point, I figured it would be now or never uh, in terms of uh, setting out on my own and, and starting a company. So uh, ended up quitting that job and, and shadowing clinicians uh, in and around Boston uh, through a, a program at MassMedic, who who, who you are familiar with. Uh, and that program at the time was called the Ignite program. I think they actually still have it. And that was sort of a, a pivotal moment that uh, I gained access to clinicians, was able to shadow uh, physicians uh, for about, uh, like I said, 18 months in, in various capacities and came up with the the concept and the thought of, of starting a company uh, that's now Access Vascular. Got it. And, and we're going to spend most of the conversation um, focused on kind of access vascular and what you've, you know, re- really around kind of key learnings that you've, uh, that you've, you've picked up along the way. But before we, be, before we go there and kind of learn, learn a bit more about like how the idea, you know, where the idea came from to, to start access vascular with mass medic, is that, I mean, would you, would you kind of consider that somewhat similar to like the, the Stanford biodesign program uh, to a certain degree? 
so I, I'm definitely familiar with the the Stanford Biodesign Program, but in a way, it's it's actually very different. Their their entire focus is, at least at the time, I, I know they have a slightly different focus now, but it was really allowing entrepreneurs to gain access to clinical facilities, right? Got it. Watching procedures, which can be very difficult. And my understanding now is that it's even more difficult. So that was really the, the, the part of the program that was attractive to me was enabling that, right? Making those connections and, and allowing me to go see all, all kinds of cool clinicians and procedures. Um, Got so. it. Got it. Okay. Good. Good to know. Um, I, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with the the mass medic program, but I've never really done a done a deep dive. You know, in terms of uh, you know, um, what that structure looks like. You know, what is it? What is it? You know, really. Uh, what does it really entail? You know, when uh, you know, kind of from from start to finish. But uh, maybe that that's that's another discussion entirely. But that serves as a kind of a good a good transition to learning a little bit more about like how this you know how how ABI or access vascular came to be. Right. So talk to us a little bit more about what's what's proprietary about kind of the, the platform, right, that you've built. And, you know, how did it, like, wh- where did this idea come from? Like, what what did you see that led you to, like, you know, take a swing here? Yeah, I, I, I think it, you know, continuation on the story that we were just saying or, or just telling, which was just observations, right? Like, it really, it's a market-driven uh, concept where, you know, over that course of the 18 months, I certainly came up or identified, you know, hundreds of different unmet needs but it was really the amount of complaints and concerns that clinicians had regarding something as simple as vascular access that really got me to pay attention. Um, and so it was my kind of a combination of my materials background, the volume and the number of times that vascular access got brought up during those 18 months, and then looking at the lack, complete lack of innovation in this space uh, and the size of the markets, I was, I was very compelled to say, we should be doing better for patients and we can, there's got to be a way to sort of resolve some of these, these major issues. And that was really where I, I became, you know, highly focused on resolving uh, the problems that plague uh, the vascular access space, which uh, as you may know, are, are thrombosis, infection, and phlebitis. And so, you know, access vascular, you know, we are solely focused on addressing the challenges of obtaining and um, sustaining vascular access, you know, through uh, that clinical treatment. Got it. And and so tell us a little bit more. So you saw this this massive need. The problem kept kept you know surfacing. It sounds like over and over again. You know, back in that you know 2000, probably what 14, 13, 14, 15 timeframe, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. And so so what like what what's different? Like, give me your elevator pitch right around what's different about your you know your catheters versus Bards or you know any 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 other you know vascular access catheter. Yeah, so the um, so the the market just to give you a, a perspective, right? The all of vascular access is about a four and a half billion dollar global market. Uh, there is one material that makes up all of those devices. So there's there is you know quite literally zero differentiation in terms of the base material. Now we're not the only company that's sort of identified the problem. Obviously, right? It's it's known that these uh, issues exist, um, and so competitive companies have tried to coat or add something to the base material. But unfortunately, for patients, it didn't really result in anything that was, you know, changed really the efficacy of the outcomes. Maybe maybe in a small at a small level, but nothing that was you know truly transformational. And so it was really identifying that. There is no differentiation in this space. 
And again, with the materials background, knowing that, all right, there, there are better materials or are different, at least different materials, right? Before we knew we had a solution, at least there were, there, there was something, there were other materials that certainly could, you know, be used. And it was really through that process that we uh, identified and developed the material that we're using today. Um, and it is, you know, again, fundamentally different. Um, we chose to develop and design a different material altogether rather than work with the same base material. And it's, it's, it's different in a lot of ways. Um, it's, it's not really, a, it's, it's not a thermoplastic. It actually retains uh, a high, very high percentage of water. So it, it uh, more closely mimics the body's natural chemistry. Uh, and then we can, and it's extremely lubricious as well. So it, it's sort of much more compliant with the, with the body's natural chemistry. Got it. Okay. So the, the, the core differentiation is like the, the underlying like material, right. Of your, of your catheters versus those that are, you know, commercialized by, like I mentioned Bard and I can't remember all the big players, but I think, you know, Covidian yeah. was a big player. You know, I remember these, you know, catheters and, and, uh, um, at, in the, in the, the Covidian sort of port- portfolio now Medtronic. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it, it sounds like it's, it's really like the material is the underlying like core differentiator that- here. That's exactly right. And and it's Scott, I can't tell you how how difficult it is for people to understand that we change the the base material. Every time I talk to uh, a strategic or I talk to a clinician, it's like, okay, so what's the coating made out of? It's like, well, all right, let's start with that that premise (laughs) that it's not it's not actually coating. Because you know, you know in the medical device industry, everyone wants to coat everything, which and and there are uh, issues fraught fraught with issues in terms of uh, what that means for patients. And so, yeah, we took a fundamentally different approach. Uh, proteins can't penetrate the surface of our material like it can with the other polymers that are available, the polyurethanes that are out there. And that essentially prevents the, the thrombosis cascade from occurring in the first place. So that's really, you know, the secret sauce, if you will, the mode of action is it, you know, our material prevents uh, protein penetration and therefore the calling of, of clotting, you know, other clotting agents that leads to all the clinical issues that you see. Got it. Got it. I, I, lo- I love this. I was actually just, you know, fairly recently um, reading kind of this, this, this background piece on, on Elon Musk and, and like his early days, right. His like prior to PayPal um, his early days, like basically kind of moving in the direction of areas that are just like hard, like no one's doing, no one's doing them. M- most people don't want to tackle challenges. It's uncomfortable. And it sounds like you probably had a kind of a similar, I mean, sort of similar dynamic where you've got all of these big players that are basically manufacturing these catheters out of the same type of material. And you're like, well, we, we can do this differently. There's got to be a better way here, right? But no one's moved in that direction, right? Until, until you, you know, your team at, at Access Vascular. So tell me a little bit more about like your, your thoughts, right? On that, on that topic of like taking on or going into an area that is kind of seems to be like pretty, pretty challenging, right? It's never been done. You know, it's not, hasn't been done before it's new. You know, most people are probably going to be skeptical, right? So I'm sure, I'm sure you encountered kind of a lot of that, that dynamic right early on. Maybe you still do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's lots to, lots to tackle there, Scott. That's a, <laughs> that's, a that's a loaded question. I, I think, um, you know, let, let's start with the big companies and, and hopefully I can hit on all the, the questions that you had. And, and if I missed one, just let me know. But I think starting with the status quo, right? I, I think when you know when, when there's a challenge, I live for that, right? When somebody says it can't be done, or or you know it's too challenging, or it's not you know not something that uh, you know, you know a small company could do. I, I I love I love that because that means I'm on to something, right? <laughs> that means that means there's uh, a challenge there that's that's worth addressing. 
And so if you're a big company and you own a giant portion of the, the market and no one's, no one has introduced a technology, it's, 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 it's sort of like, um, you know, that no one's going to come steal your, your lunch. So, you know, why are you going to change your approach, which is, you know, I, I can see the, uh, the wisdom in that. And so I think, you know, when you're doing line, line extensions, most of these large companies, that's how they make their money, right? They, they tweak one or two things and, you know, they, they address a concern that a clinician has or something that pops up in the market and, and then they launch a new product and that doesn't cost a whole lot of money and there's not a lot of risk there. Uh, but you also don't get to move the needle, right? You also don't get to actually address major clinical issues that your patients are, are addressing. Look, you know, 85 or 90% of any patient that walks into a hospital is going to get a vascular access device, right? That's how ubiquitous they are. 30% of those patients are going to have some sort of a complication related to their device. And so you want to talk about an unmet clinical need. And that's, that's only on the clinical side, right? Everyone at all levels of, of uh, the hospital system are talking about economics. So think about what the economic impact of all of those delayed therapies, you know, you know, extended stays, procedures to resolve DVTs and PEs, maintenance associated with these devices, it, it's extensive. And so to me, that's where, that's where I want to innovate is something that actually makes an impact on patients. And just because, you know, there's not another company that wants to address it or is willing to address it. I mean, you know, sign me up if, if I can make a difference and move the needle for, for patients, that's what I'm here for. And so that was just more encouraging, right? Size of the market, it's stagnant. It has a massive impact on the economic outcomes for hospitals, especially with fee-for-service in this country moving towards value-based care. Not, you know, I'm, I'm here for that for, for sure. And, and we're seeing that in our clinical outcomes, right? We, we see patients every day that are, that are getting treated with, you know, traditional devices that, you know, are significantly impacted by the performance of those devices. And it's frustrating to an extent because, you know, we've treated 2,000 patients uh, so far with our two devices. We have, you know, retrospective clinical data that shows, you know, near, nearly eliminating these complications. Um, compared to the control in in a you know statistically powered way, and so that that part's the exciting part. So when people say you know how are you going to take on these behemoths or or how are you going to make you know how are you going to get market share? There's a huge clinical need that the hospital system cares about, right? Administrators care about it because it's costing them money. Uh, clinicians care about it because it's impacting the health of their patients, and no one's doing anything about it. So so that's what we're here for. Got it. Got it. That's 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 a great summary. Um, and I think that 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 probably allows us to kind of like transition into kind of where your head was at in the early days of of, as, of access vascular. And you know, thinking about that time period, as well as just the experiences that you mentioned, kind of in, in the world of, of contract manufacturing, right? You spent some time in, in that space too. Sure. Like, what do you what do you think maybe are the big, biggest mistakes that either you made or that you see right at, at that in those early days, right, of developing? you know, prototype, you know, alpha and beta prototypes that, that most kind of med tech or life science entrepreneurs make um, at that particular, uh, you know, um, phase of phase of the company? Yeah. Um, so I would say the two biggest uh, things early, early on are not getting out and, and talking to clinicians and re- like 
not just asking them for like the purposes of design control, like, hey, we have to talk to three clinicians about what the product should look like. Let's let's tick that box off. But like actually, you know, working alongside them, observing and having that actual input from a from the the real world influenced your design and in and product concepts. It's not good enough just to sort of scratch scratch the surface for sure. Um, so I, I would say that's the biggest thing that that I see because because you know Scott, like as, as we discussed, it's also difficult to gain that access, and it's only getting more difficult. So I understand why people shy away from it, but it, it's almost the only thing that people should should focus on uh, early on. Got it, got it. So so it's almost like a, a mindset shift from your perspective of like viewing VOC not just to check the box per se, but like viewing VOC to really truly uncover like what what is needed here, right? What are the real challenges? That they're at so, hand. Well, I, th- I th- but I also so I would take that a step further. It's not just voice of the customer, right? It's not just what they tell you because often what they tell you is not accurate, right? It, it's really you know getting in the weeds of hey, try this. How does this fit in your hand? How does this how does this you know work in a in a clinical setting? Does it disrupt your clinical practice? You know what sort of an impact on outcomes would you be willing to accept if we extended the procedure by? five minutes by 30 seconds and really understanding how the product is going to get used and make sure that that influences your actual design and and then being in in making those observations as well not just taking you know not just sending out a, an electronic survey on different features but but getting in there and and, and seeing how it actually gets work uh, used yeah. yeah getting getting rolling up the old sleeves right getting getting, getting your hands dirty yeah yeah, it's it's device, right? We live in a physical physical world, right? We're we're not designing, you know, maybe some some groups are designing apps, but at the end of the day, there's some sort of an interface with yep. a real person uh, in a real environment that that needs to be, you know, a focal point. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's it's interesting that you bring this up. We're, uh, you know, we're 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 you know pretty involved with a, you know fairly extensive um, discussions like this with 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 Fastway, which is where I'm, I'm spending most of my most of my time these days. Um, and uh, we have a lot of these conversations, right, around kind of asking questions around ideas on paper, right? But some are just, you know, we, we can't really ask these questions until we actually have something to show, right? Because the physician's not going to be able to, you know, they may, they may be able to make some, some super, superficial, you know, level, level comments around, you know, some, some CAD renders, right? But it's not really going to be, you know, overly interesting or compelling, you know, feedback unless, until they get something in their hands, you know what I mean? So I would, right. I would completely, completely echo, echo your sentiment. On that note, let's let's transition to kind of like reg and, and clinical because you you mentioned at Access Vascular you're taking on a, a pretty pretty significant you know challenge in a massive market, but the underlying differentiator here is the is the material right, which is no That's no right. small feat from a, a reg standpoint. So, talk to us a little bit more about like how you've approached you know um, the kind of the regulatory path with a, a kind of a, a somewhat nuanced regulatory path um, uh, in your in your uh, in your case. Yeah, so so your 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 question is very timely. I'm actually flying out to MD&M uh, West uh, next week to give a talk on this on this very topic, and I think it's a very important one. And if I could maybe sort of adjust the the answer, or, or adjust the question and, and, and answer that one, I, I think there's a lot, you know, obviously a, a lot going on with the FDA, right? The the regulatory bodies, uh, actually not just in the U.S. but but OUS as well. And I think the the one thing that I've learned, right? So if it's if it's uh, sort of you know my my learnings over the years, I think two things really really stick out to me as 
maybe pitfalls that other companies fall into and, and lessons that we've learned, really understand the regulatory process, right? Understand what, you know, what is the FDA concerned about? What's the agency concerned about? What are they focused on? What are the hot topics? And making sure you answer those very important questions to them, right? Because they're, you know, they have a job to do. And, and I, I think that, you know, sort of the, the perception that it, that it has to be like an adversarial relationship, I think we're beyond that, right? I, I think that's a great thing that the, the, you know, whatever's causing it in the industry is actually very positive where the FDA is, is leading the way in, in a number of different um, aspects in terms of um, how they review, you know, submissions for, for 510Ks uh, specifically. And, and the approach that we took was, okay, well, you know, what are the products uh, in this space? What do they take to design, develop, and, and get through the regulatory process? Some of them are more, much more complex than others. As an example, dialysis catheters are, are uh, more expensive and, and more complicated to, to get through the regulatory process. You know, pick lines and midlines are, are, are less. And so, you know, we, our material fortunately can address, you know, all of the different spaces within vascular access, as we've already discussed. And so our approach was, okay, what is the FD, what's the agency going to be concerned with, right? They're, you know, what are the safety concerns? How do we make sure we fully address those in a responsible way and, and give them what they need to, to feel comfortable, you know, and for us as well. And then what do we need for a submission? So we, Again, focused on pick lines, relatively straightforward for us. At least we thought that when we uh, when we started trying to find manufacturing techniques for a, a novel new material, uh, even if the overall shape is relatively straightforward, is is not as easy as uh, one one would hope when you start off with these things. But I think it's just really focused on you know smart approaches and knowing the regulations and knowing design control and being able to operate within those uh, confines. Uh, some of our most successful R&D engineers here, they know design control as better or as well as they do design, right? It, it being able to navigate through, you know, the timelines, you know, areas that they that that might trip up other people. You know, how do you efficiently go through that process? And to me, understanding. So to summarize, understanding the agency and understanding design control it has been has been key for us. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.